best way to do life is to anchor oneself to the one who made us in his image, God Almighty. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. In this series, we'll take a look at men and women who walked with God. We will look at how God scripted their stories and draw courage from how he wants to script ours. We hope you enjoy. How are we all doing today? I'm, uh, you know, as always, I'm so thankful for our worship team. Um, you know, like I, today, like we're singing that third song. And just, I, I mean, how many of you here are thankful that God has saved you? You know, um, I, I feel like every time I come up here to preach, I'm like just so blown away uh, with the worship that we've experienced before that. I'm so really thankful for them. So uh, four weeks ago, we started this series, They Walked With God. And so the first week we looked at Abigail, and the Bible said that Abigail was intelligent and beautiful. Now I'm going to do something that's a little dangerous here today. Anybody remember what her husband's name was? Okay, some of you had it, and some of you were close. Nabal was his name. Okay, do you guys remember what it said about Nabal? Okay, you're close, Sue. The, the Bible said that Nabal was surly and mean. Okay, so if any of you, any of you husbands that are in the room, and you don't remember that sermon, and your wife has been calling you Nabal the last couple of weeks, it's not a compliment. Okay, she's not saying something good about you. So anyway, we looked at Abigail. And really her wisdom and generosity. The second week we had a visitor. Ananias came and visited us. Okay, if you remember, he looked a lot like Pastor Rob. Okay? And so Ananias came and visited with us. And Ananias was called by God to go preach the gospel. This guy Saul that becomes Paul. And he was rightfully so a little hesitant. You know, because he knew you know, what Saul had been doing to people. And so then last week we looked at Isaiah. And Isaiah, what a great passage in chapter 6, because we're, he's talking about Isaiah, and he comes into the presence of the Lord, and there's angels and all this stuff, and it's holy, holy, holy. And we read in there, and he realizes, man, when he is in the presence of a holy God, he realizes just how unholy he really is. You know, and he realizes what a sinful man he really is. And really, that is the response. Like, when we, when we come into God's presence, and we recognize how amazing he is, we shouldn't be able to help but recognize and notice how, how far we have fallen and where we come up a little bit short. But then it doesn't stop there because later on, God is like, who's going to go? Who's going who's to go out there? And Isaiah responds to that call by saying, here am I, send me. So some great stories of individuals. And this week, though, this week's story is a little bit different because we're going to look at a family. Okay, we're going to look at a family. The first passage we're going to look at, it. we're going to just look at the two sisters and then when we get to the third passage, you're going to have the two sisters and their brother. And uh, it's, it's interesting anytime you talk about families, okay? Because, man, a lot of weird families out there, right? Okay, even in your own family, every family's got a couple of those weirdos, right? You know, family get-togethers, you're like, woo, boy. You know, and if you don't think you have a weirdo in your family, guess what? It's you, okay? <laughs> like, if you don't think there's a weirdo there, weirdo, it is you for sure, and so today we're looking at, at the this, this story of these sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, but before we get to that passage, I want to remind you guys. So there's a quote that I mentioned in week one with Abigail. And it comes from Max Lucado's book, They Walked With God. And he said this. says, for every person, Scripture has a story. For every problem, God has a promise. For each occasion when we feel our story is coming undone, God steps in with a message. Just trust me. 
I am the author and the finisher of your life. We're, reading, we're going through this series, and we're looking at the stories of these people in the Bible, but each one of us has a life and has a story of our own that God is trying to write in our own lives. And just remember that God isn't done, and he will complete it. So let's, uh, let's pray before we look at Luke chapter 10. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here to worship you Uh, to sing songs that talk about how grateful we are that you have saved us. And I am so grateful that you have saved me. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word, Lord, that your word would be what shines today, that your word would be what guides us uh, to be in the people that you want us to be. I thank you for this story today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 38. It should be on the screens behind me. But it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a man named Mar- or a woman, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me." Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be not, it will not be taken from her. So I want you, can you picture this? Now, just imagine for a moment that Jesus is coming to your house this afternoon for lunch, or Jesus is coming over tonight for dinner. I want you to think about what would be going on in your home, okay? I don't know, in your homes, do you have a Mary? Do you have a Martha? Okay, listen. We're not Mary and Martha, and these people certainly aren't Jesus, okay? But every Sunday night, the young adults come to my house, all right? And when the young adults come to our house, that means on Sunday afternoon, Christina and I are cleaning our house, okay? It's a wonderful thing, because at least once a week, we have to clean our house. And now that our kids are grown and gone, like, it's not like our house gets messy, but you know what? On Sunday, things that, gets, you know, sit, ar- that sit around all week get put away, you know, the, the bathrooms will get cleaned up a little bit. The kitchen will get cleaned. Everything will get moved and put in their proper place. And so imagine if Jesus, though, was coming to your house. What would your house be like on that day? And so as we read this story, like Martha is just so engrossed with everything that has to get done. And Jesus is there, but Martha is still trying to get everything just right, get everything just perfect. And Mary, she's just sitting there. She's just sitting there soaking up the glory of Jesus, all right? Now, I don't know, even in this short amount of time, I don't know how many of you can already identify with one of those two. I don't know how many of you could identify with being a Martha, or how many of you could, I could identify with being a Mary. But Martha's so disgusted, she brings it to Jesus, because she's thinking that Jesus is going to side with her, right? Like, she's thinking that Jesus is going to say, oh, you are right, Martha, but when we read the story, we realize that that isn't what happens, right? Martha says something to Jesus, and Jesus is like, oh, just relax, Martha. Okay, just relax a little bit. And, and so as I think about this story in Luke chapter 10, in this situation, there's a couple of things that came to my mind, a couple of things that, that kind of rose to the top for me. This story is about priorities. This story is about priorities. Secondly, this story is about being busy or busyness, all right? Not business, busyness, being too busy. So it's about priorities, it's about busyness, and then lastly, it's about being present in people's lives, 
being present in people's lives. So I was doing some research, doing some reading uh, for today's sermon. And when I started thinking about priorities, I started just looking and reading a bunch of different articles about priorities. And one, one German wrote, writer, uh, whose name I can't pronounce other than his first name, which is Johann, okay, um, he, he wrote this. He wrote, he grasped the importance of priorities. He said, things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. Let me read that again. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. And Stephen R. Covey wrote in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which has got to be like 50 years old at this point. But it says, as a longtime student of this fascinating field of life and time management, I'm personally persuaded that the essence of the best thinking in the area of time management can be captured in a single phrase, organize and execute around priorities. Organize and execute around priorities. So the question for us is this, as Christians, what is supposed to be our number one priority? Okay, think for a moment. Think for a moment what you think our number one priority should be. All right, that's enough time. Okay, as a follower of Christ, our number one priority ought to be the Lord. Think about the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, God says this to the Israelites. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He's saying, listen, I've done this for you. Nobody else, nothing else should come before me. And guess what? God's ideas haven't changed in the last few thousand years. God still demands being number one. And the problem is when we allow things that don't matter the most to take the place of things or the thing that does matter the most. So I want you to think about it. What, what are some things that get in the way of God being number one in your life? What are the things that get in the way of God taking his rightful place on the throne being in charge? Here's a few things that I thought of for, for others, Okay. For others, some of the things that get in the way. Things like work, things like money, success, accumulating stuff, people, pleasure. You know, practically that might look like things like, what are some things that get in the way? Things like your television set, or your cell phone, or your laptop. God said we're to have no other gods before him. Nothing should come to the front of the line. Nothing should be a higher priority to us than him. God isn't asking. He's telling. He demands the number one slot in our life, the number one place. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. Martha was doing something good, and yet it wasn't what was most important. Do you understand that? Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She just wasn't doing what was most important. You know, like most of us, we think about what the devil wants for us. The devil wants to bring us down. But the reality is, as Christians, most of us, we're not going to be deceived into doing something really horrible. But the devil doesn't have to get us to do something horrible. The devil just needs to distract us from doing what's most important. The devil just needs to distract us from doing what God wants us to do. So he doesn't have to convince you to commit some heinous crime he just needs to convince you to do whatever it takes to, to make God no longer the priority in your life. <clears throat> in the New Testament, a passage that we looked at a lot 
the last few years. Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 37. says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Nothing's changed. Jesus is saying, nothing has changed. I still expect to be number one. So what I want you to do right now in this moment is ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Say, what do my priorities look like? Is God the number one priority in my life? Secondly, we need to look at what are the things that are keeping us busy? What are the things that are keeping us busy? Um, I don't know that everybody lives the way we do. But I think living here, we just live very busy lives. I, I spent my only, I've lived here my entire life, so I don't have a lot of reference outside of it, other than I spent one summer in Oregon. So I spent about two and a half months in Oregon. And where I was in Oregon, I just feel like they lived a little slower. Everything wasn't such a rush. Everything wasn't such go, 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 go. And, and so I just feel like it's so easy for us right here to be so busy that we let things get out of whack. And a lot of times we let the things that keep us busy choke. They let, we let those things choke out our relationship with the Lord. We let those things that are keeping us busy, they, we let them keep us from doing the things that are most important. Like, like, I don't know what your list would be. I don't know what your list would be for the most important things that we as Christians ought to be doing. But my list starts with, you know what, we ought to be spending time in our Bibles and we ought to be praying. Like those are the top two things on my list of things that we ought to be doing every day. And yet it's amazing how often I hear people tell me that they're too busy to spend time in their Bibles. And you know, my encouragement to you is this. If you're too busy to spend a little time in your Bible and to pray, then you need to start getting rid of things in your life. You need to start eliminating things in your life. Maybe eliminate social media on your phone and download the YouVersion app of the Bible on your phone instead. And so replace that time you'd spend on social media with spending time in God's Word. Like we're just so busy that we let things get pushed out of the way. I think of like things like not just reading our Bibles and praying. I think of even being at church. I think of being involved in a small group. I can't emphasize enough how important it is for us all to be involved in some kind of small group. You know, at our church, we have a million different small groups. Like there really isn't any reason not to be in a small group. Our women have Bible studies going on at all times. Okay? That may, that may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much, okay? We have life groups on Wednesday nights. We have fight night on Thursday night for the men. We have Sunday morning life groups. That meet, even there's one meeting right now. We all need that small group to, be, to give us that encouragement. And yet so often we say, oh, I'm too busy. Well, maybe it's time for us to get, some, get rid of some things, to move some things around. Again, Martha wasn't doing anything bad. But what she was doing was keeping her from being present with Jesus. And that's the third thing I want us to think about today. I would encourage you all not to just be present with God, which is so important. Like, we could come to church and not experience God, right? We could come to church, we could sit through service, we could do all these things and not experience God. And what I want to encourage us to do is come to church and be present with Him. Be really be thinking about Him and what He wants you know, and so as we're singing, we're not just singing a song, but we're singing a song, we're thinking about the words that we're singing. And so we're thinking, of, we're singing about how thankful we are that he saved us, 
that we might actually be thankful that God saved us, but be present right here in this moment. But my other encouragement to you would be this, is you know what, be present in the lives of the people in your world. Like we're all at different places. Some of us in this room, we have families, young families. Some of us have families, like mine, my kids are grown. They're not in my house anymore. And I'll be honest with you, I miss that. Like I miss them being young. Like every once in a while, my wife will say something about missing our kids. And I don't even know how to respond. Because if I say me too, I'm going to lose it. Okay? And so I just look at her. Okay? But I really do miss them being little. And so I'm at a different stage in life. Some of you are older. You have grandkids. It doesn't matter. This, is, this goes for everybody. Be present in the lives of the people that are around you. You know, for me, one of my favorite places when my kids were growing up is our dining room table. Because at our dining room table, we had a few rules. Okay, like for dinner, there were a couple of rules. Number one was keep your shirt on. Okay? You may think that's a silly rule, but if you've met my kids, you would know it's not. Okay? As adults recently, one of them thought they could break that rule. And we're like, dude, get your shirt back on. Okay? But the other rule was, you know what? There ain't no playing around with your cell phone at the dinner table. Okay? Because you aren't present with people when you're playing around with your cell phone. Like one of the things that disturbs me is when I go out to a restaurant and I see a whole family of people sitting around a table and they're all like this on their phones. All right? I want to encourage you guys to be present in the lives of the people that you have around you. Um, Like I said, our kids are grown and we don't get to see them a lot. And especially we don't have them together very often. And And our youngest one is getting married and she's wonderful, but you know our life changes with that. And so like our little group of four just doesn't happen anymore. And so for Mother's Day, uh, Tim was able to come home. He spent about 15 hours at home with us. Um, and so that Saturday night, it was so great. He got home and he had been working all day, so I let him take a shower. But after that, we kind of moved to the dining room table. And I just so enjoyed sitting there and talking with him. Now there was another reason. My my oldest son graduated from college three and a half years ago, and Tim graduated two years ago, and dear old dad still hadn't given them their college graduation presents, okay? Now, some of you might think I'm a slacker, okay? But the reality was this. I had thought long and hard about what to give them, and I just couldn't think of the right thing. And so I didn't want to give them garbage. I didn't want to give them something they wouldn't remember, I didn't want to give them money that they would just spend. And so honestly, I finally found something that I thought was worthy, and I bought it. But if I hadn't found that, I'd still be waiting, okay? But I found something, I gathered around the table, and you know what? I just enjoyed sitting there with them, being present in that moment, talking with them. And especially, you know, like I said, you you have young families, which you don't realize is, you know what? That young family ain't young forever, And so I just feel like, especially I sat there at that table just so grateful for the opportunity to be present with them. That's what I want to encourage you guys to be with all the people in your lives. Be present. Be there. Don't be distracted. Don't be thinking about something else. Be present with the people in your life. Martha, again, wasn't doing anything wrong, but she was being kept from being present with Jesus. Now... um, as we, as we think about this, we're going we're gonna to turn to our second verse, though. 
So in John chapter 12, we've already looked at John, Luke chapter 10. Mary and Martha have been introduced to us. But in, in John chapter 12, where we're turning now, there's another family member that's introduced. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was about a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. A keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing on him. So to understand what's going on in chapter 12, you have to understand what was going on in John chapter 11. And I don't want to spend a lot of time in John chapter 11 because, well, we're actually going to come back to this and talk about it next month. But what you need to know in John chapter 11 is this. Lazarus was dead. Okay, Lazarus had died. He wasn't like mostly dead. He was completely dead. Like Miracle Max couldn't even have helped him. Okay, like he was in the tomb. He had been in there four days when Jesus got there. And Jesus raised him from the dead. Brought him out of that grave. And so in John chapter 12, we have the same family, and they're serving the same functions, but it's, it's set a little bit different. Once again, Martha is serving. Once again, Mary is worshiping. But now we hear about Lazarus. And you know, Lazarus, he's got a story to tell. Uh, in his books, Max Lucado says this. It says, Mary and Martha were like family to Jesus. After the Lord raised Lazarus from the dead, they decided to give him a dinner. They decided to honor him by having a party on his behalf. All three worked together with one purpose, but each fulfilled that purpose in his or her unique manner. Martha served. She always kept everyone in step. Mary worshiped. She anointed her Lord with an extravagant gift, and its aroma filled the air. Lazarus had a, sto Lazarus had a story to tell, and he was ready to tell it. You know, as I was reading this story about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it actually reminded me of the passage that Pastor Rob, one of the passages Pastor Rob talked about in the church lesson just a couple of months ago. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is comparing the church to a body. And he's talking about how there's one body but many parts. And that's what I was thinking about here. Like, like they're one family but each of them has a different function, and that is just like us. We're all different. We all have different unique talents and abilities and skills, and yet God puts us all together for the benefit of the body. And just like what's true with us is, you know what? If one part of the body is suffering, what does that mean for the whole body? The whole body suffers too, right? Okay, I, 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 I was going to tell you, I broke my finger once. I didn't go to the doctor like I should have. I've paid for that for like 25 years now, okay? But while that finger hurt, my whole body suffered because of it. Okay, but when the whole body is working together, 
there's such great harmony. And so we see one thing in Luke 10, but in John chapter 12, you see the family coming together and each of them doing what they're good at, doing what they were meant to do, and it's all working. And so as I think about their story today, is you realize, you know, each role is important and each role is valuable. And so as you sit here today, I don't know if you feel like you're a Mary or if you're a Martha, but they're both important. Like our church is filled with Marthas, okay? And if you have a problem with being called a Martha and you're a dude, I'll call you a Mark, all right, if that makes you feel any better, okay? But our church is filled with Marthas, people who get here early, who clean up and set up and wash windows and sweep pathways. They're also the same people that generally are here later on afterwards, cleaning up after all the slobs and locking the doors when everybody's gone. Okay, our church is filled with Marthas. Every church needs not one Martha. Every church needs dozens of Marthas. And I'm so grateful because in the course of the history of our church, or almost 50 years now, our church has always been filled with Marthas, people who came alongside everybody else and got the job done and put stuff away or took stuff out or did whatever needed to be done. But our church has also always been filled with Martha, or Marys, people who just come in and they radiate God's presence and they radiate God's glory as they're worshiping. Because every church not only needs Marthas, but we need Marys. People who just come and you're like, man, there's something different about that person. Like we need our Marthas and we need our Marys. But in, but in this passage, we read about Lazarus. And Lazarus was so important because, you know, Lazarus had a story to tell. And the reality is, as Christians, each one of us has a story to tell. Each one of us has a story to tell of what God has done in our lives. I'm assuming not many in this room have been, have been you know, brought back from the dead. Okay? But that doesn't mean that you don't have a story to tell. We have some incredible stories of God changing people's lives. And those are powerful stories. But that's not the only story there is. There are some of you in this room that you grew up going to church. You've gone to church your whole life. You've stayed faithful. You haven't done anything crazy. And yet, and still to this day, you are serving the Lord. And you know what? There's a powerful testimony in that story as well. And so each one of us has a story. Each one of us has a testimony. And I'm reminded of the passage. You know, I shared it in Life Group this week, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Each one of us can tell people, hey, you may not be able to answer every Bible question. You may not be able to explain the Trinity you may not be able to explain end times. You may not be able to explain the book of Revelation to people. Okay, but each one of you could tell the story of what God has done in your life. You could tell people how God has changed you. Um, one of the other passages that we're going to be looking at uh, next month is in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, there's a guy that was born blind. And at some point, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come back to this guy. Hold it there. Because the bottom line is this, those three things that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus represent, really God wants to see all those things in each one of us. It isn't, I'm a Mary, or I'm a Martha, or I'm a Lazarus. God wants to see all those things in our lives. We've all been designed to serve, right? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like God has created us to work for him, to do things for him. God has created us to serve. We've also been designed to worship. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We've all been created to worship. And again, we all have a story to tell. Now back to John chapter 9. The guy that Jesus healed that was blind. The Pharisees are giving him a hard time. And they're like, who did this? You know, surely he was a sinner. And one of the greatest passages you're ever going to read, John chapter 9, verse 25, he says, hey, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. People might want to argue with you about the Bible, but people can't argue about your changed life, about what God has done in your life. You know, there's one more person in this story that I didn't mention yet, and that's the person of Judas. He's not a family member, but he's in the story. Like we read in there that he's bitter. He's upset that Mary has poured this perfume on Jesus. He's like, you know, pretending like he has virtue. And he said, oh, you should have done this with the money. And yet John, in retrospect, knows that Judas was a thief. And he didn't really care about helping people. And the reality is in our lives, you know what? We're always going to have Judases in our lives. People that take and take and take and they don't ever give. And when they're not taking, they're probably complaining. And so my encouragement to all of us this morning is don't ever be a Judas. Okay? Don't ever be a Judas. Instead, our church still needs more Marthas, more Marys, and more Lazaruses. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and the stories that we read and the lives that we read about the way you impacted lives and changed lives. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would help us to look for opportunities to be like Martha, to be like Mary, and to be like Lazarus. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org, or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.